Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Yeehaw! It's Sunday. And we hope that you've been to church or you're going, going to, to church. church. And if you're going to our church, we hope that you had a great time because uh, we're excited. We're excited. It's week two of our soft launch. So we're gathered on Sunday mornings now, which just feels good. It feels good to be back in church on Sunday mornings. It does. And that, that whole weird thing that happened in the middle of your sermon, dude, don't even worry about it. Hardly anyone <laughs> noticed it. <laughs> okay. Well, you know. Um, These things happen. Dude. That's going to be the most listened to sermon now because whoever's listening to this is going to go back and be like, what happened in the middle of a sermon? It's barely even noticeable. It's barely unless noticeable. Unless you know. Right. Right. Sure. Hey, Mission Impossible. Are you a fan of the new Mission Mission Impossible? Are you a fan of the, the series, I should ask? I, how many are there even of them? I don't know. I, I like to, I, I want to like them. Yeah. I think I like to like them. Yeah. But I can't keep track. It's like, I don't know how many Transformers there are, how many of the Vin Diesel with the family thing are there. Fast and Furious. Or, I, I can't even yeah. keep up. Yeah. Jurassic Park. I like Jurassic Park. I've been watching. I can't keep up with that either. Well, apparently in this latest installment, Tom Cruise rides a motorcycle off a, a cliff, like off a mountain. He hasn't done that before. In parachutes. Like, I feel I, like he's done that. No, this is, I think this is the first time he's done that. But he, he you know him, he's like, I'm going to do my own stunts. And so he, like, he's doing that. He rides his motorcycle off and then he parachutes down. Great. Pretty amazing. Really, when you think about just riding a motorcycle off the side of a mountain. And he's like 58 now or somewhere in that ballpark. He is. He is. And he does that because he cares about his glory, right? He wants all the fame. He wants everybody to be super impressed with Tom Cruise. But you know what's more impressive is what we're talking about in Psalm 19. And that is how it opens. And that's the opening chapter for us in our DBR this, uh, this morning or this afternoon, whenever you're listening to us. And it says right there in chapter 19, verse one, the heavens declare the glory of God. That's something that nobody's ever going to be able to touch. And man, I tell you what, that's one of the things that I missed about Texas, about living here. And that I'm so glad to see again, coming back is just the the skies. The skies here are amazing. Like the cloud formations and the way that the sun breaks through. I'll take that over the sunset, over the Pacific ocean, any day of the week. Well, I, I do agree with you that this, the skies here are pretty impressive. And I think it's probably, for me, the size of it. It yeah. just feels so, I guess it's, it's a similar feeling to what it felt like when we visited the Grand Canyon. The scope of it just made you feel small. And I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's always been so encouraging for me to look up and to say, man, okay, God, you're doing that. And it's a reminder that we've got a God who cares about beauty, who cares about creating that sense of awe. And that's what Psalm 19 is talking about at the very beginning here. He's saying creation is there screaming about the fact that God exists and not just that he's some, you know, stoic or distant or deistic God that's, that's, that's out there just kind of winding things up and letting nature take its course. But he's a God that cares about testifying to his glory and his grandeur and his beauty. And I just, I've always loved that about the beginning of Psalm 19. And it's always reminded me of the the skies out here. But as we go on in verses seven through 11 in Psalm 19, we get into him talking about the law of the Lord and gives all of these different descriptions. But before we get into that, Pastor Rod, help us to understand the law of the Lord. How do we, how should we wrap our minds around that? Are we talking about the, the 10 commandments here? Are we talking about what, what should we do with that phrase, the law of the Lord? 
So sometimes when we talk about the law of the Lord, we're talking about the specific elements of the law, the Torah, the, the, the elements that were meant to be the covenant-keeping principles that Israel was responsible for, that God would held his part for. However, when the Psalms use the term, it often is a term that means to convey something much more general. We're talking about the whole canon of all that God has delivered to them. So it's more than just your law, although that's implied, and that's certainly part of what's included, but it's also it's also including everything that God speaks. So the law of the Lord being perfect is a is a shorthand way to say, uh, man, you've got you've got beautiful you've got beautiful a beautiful face, or that person's got a beautiful mug, or something like that. Well, really mean they're a really attractive person. It's kind of similar to this. It's a it's a poetic element. Well, as we continue to, to get into the, the descriptions then, it, it starts to, to list off all of the, the things that the law of the Lord is. And it starts right away. The law of the Lord is perfect. And nothing else is going to be able to ever claim that. Nothing else in all creation is going to be able to say it's perfect like we have in the scriptures. And then the description right after that, reviving the soul. You go through perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true. These are all descriptions that the psalmist, that uh, that David here uses to describe scripture. And then he goes through and talks about the impact that it has on us. It revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It endures forever. And that leads to his final conclusion then in verse 10, which is that the, the word of God, the law of the Lord is more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of a honeycomb. And I, I just wonder... You know that's that's convicting for me, and and I just wonder if if we're approaching God's word with that mentality that David had on a regular basis. Do we value it that much? In if we would say yes, does it look like that in our lives? I think you can never even value it enough, and that's I, I appreciate your admonition a, a day ago or two days ago. I forget when it was. Uh, when you were encouraging us to to really make the word of God a part of our day. So many people didn't have it. So many people didn't have it in a leather cover in their language, didn't have multiple translations to choose from. And yet here we have this precious, invaluable resource at the ready any time of the day or night in almost any way we want it. We've got the CSB, the ESV, the NIV, the NKJV. We've got the NLT. We've got the mess. We've got everything. And man, I think David would have salivated at seeing so many ways that we could imbibe the word of God. And I think part of what makes it sweet is the regular, repeated approach of the Word of God. It's like learning to eat your vegetables in some way. I mean, so that's sooner or later, you're like, oh, I really like, what's your least favorite vegetable, Pastor PJ? Oh, least favorite, squash. I like squash now because I chose to eat it and, and enjoy it. And I think the Word of God is clearly not repulsive in any way. It's us. We need to change. Our spiritual palate needs to acclimate to God's words. And I think once we get there, man, I do love the Word of God. This resonates so deeply because I do love it. I want more of it. But I also know there's that resistance, that's, uh, that deep sense of resistance that comes from my flesh. I don't want to be convicted. I don't want to be challenged. But man, we sure need it. And when we take it in, it's so good. Right. right. It, it, you're exactly right. It's like it, the first time you drink coffee, m- most of you out there probably re- were repulsed by it. I remember the first time I drank it, I was like six or seven years old. I got literally like a little thimble teacup from my <laughs> my uh, one of my family members. And, they, and I was like, why would you ever want this? This was is the black? grossest stuff. Yeah, it just straight black. black. Okay. That, that's why, yeah. And, uh, and and then as I grew older, I, I was like, okay, I value the benefit of it. And so I started drinking it more and more, yeah. and I still didn't love it. And yet it's that acquired taste, right? Yes. And that's true of Scripture, too. Our flesh is going to be repulsed by the Word of God. We're not going to want to spend time in the Word. But our spirit, the more we lean into the Word and the more we read the Word, is going to develop this acquired taste for it because of what God's Spirit is doing inside of us. 
and we're going to want the word more and more and more, the more we're in the word. And so let me just encourage you out there. If you're struggling to be in the word, or if you have not yet to this point in your life, developed this pattern and habit of being in the word, commit and start today. And, and yeah, it's going to be hard initially. And there's going to be seasons where you're going to say, I'd rather not. But if you keep pressing through, you will develop this, this taste for it, this hunger for it. Okay. Really quick then I'm going to put you on the spot here. Give our audience one of your best tips. I want to be in the word on a regular basis. I, I, I yes, I struggle with that, but let me get more consistent. Uh, what's something practical that they can do? Maybe even something that they haven't heard recently that would be helpful for them to develop the habit. Sure. Two things, where and when, um, you've probably heard the, the, the when side of things, carve out specific time yeah, every, every day morning and keep that time on your calendar. But, but I think the where is just as important. Make it a place you want to be. Don't, mm-hmm. don't sit there and, and, change a location every single time or, you know, find a place that's, that's the most uncomfortable place in your house to be. For me, it's, it's a, a, a corner of my couch every single morning that I sit down in mm-hmm. and I've got my cup of coffee and I've got my Bible and that's where I, I read the word. And there's something about that that's appealing to me that I'm like, when I get up in the morning, it's hard to get out of bed, but I'm already looking forward to being able to sit down there with my cup of coffee and the Bible <laughs> in my hand. Yeah. So find that place, find that, that location for you that you're going to associate with reading the word and make that a place that you love and that you want to be every day. Amen. Well, look at the, the impact just as we finish up Psalm 19 here, it's not just the knowledge. It's not just professing the love. It's what it does for David. And, And that's why he prays there in verses 12 and 13, asking God to keep him back from sins, both the sins that he's aware of and the sins that he's unaware of. He says, if there's any hidden faults, reveal those to me, right? Those are the, the sins that he's maybe not aware that he's committing. And then certainly he wants to be held back from the presumptuous sins, the arrogant sins there. And then the final prayer or plea there in verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. If you go to the New Testament, you think about what Jesus said about our relationship between the words and the heart that the, the mouth speaks out of the abundance of the heart. And here David is saying, I want my words to be pure. And the way that's going to happen is when our hearts are being filled up with the word of God on a regular basis. That's right. Psalm 20 and 21 are uh, are kind of sister psalms in a way, because in Psalm 20, you have a psalm that was most likely recited before battle. In Psalm 21, you've got a psalm that was most likely recited after battle. After God gave them victory. Yep. And so in Psalm 20, you've got them praying for God to deliver them. And you've got the famous line there in verses seven and eight, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, we our God. We trust in the name of the Lord, right? our God. Yep. Seeds family worship for you. Totally. And then in, in Psalm 21, he's, he's reflecting on the victory that God has, has brought to them. Verse seven of Psalm 21 says, for the king trusts in the Lord and through his steadfast love of the most high, he shall not be moved. Mm. So this is just this confidence in God. But speaking of, of chariots and horses, we don't have those today, Pastor Rod, but what are some things, what are our chariots and horses that maybe we're tempted to trust in today instead of trusting in the Lord? So I think one of the things that you can most easily, easily trust instead of the Lord is for most of us probably going to be what's in the bank account, your money, the resources that will indicate strength. In fact, people talk about uh, financial independence, mm. financial security, and I'm using air quotes here to indicate. Some <laughs> Communicates well on the podcast. Yeah, you because know, that's why I said it, air quotes. So every, every time we turn around, we're being told to trust in something other than the Lord. And one of the most frequent things that we're told to trust is our money, to trust your resources, to trust the fact that you can make enough money, secure enough of an emergency fund. I mean, I think there's even some well-meaning teachers who are Christians who tell 
tell Christians, hey, uh, save for a rainy day, uh, create a six-month to 12-month emergency fund. That's great, and you should do that. You should be wise with your resources. However, the challenge is, of course, not to trust those things, but to put your trust in the Lord even as you do what's wise and diligent. So don't put your trust in the chariot or the horse of a thick bank account. What yeah. else might you say, Pastor PJ? Yeah, that's great. I think what comes to mind for me as you're talking about all that is just the book of Ecclesiastes when Solomon was looking for something to, to satisfy him because that's really what we're, what we're wanting to trust in something to take care of me, to trust in something that's going to satisfy me, whether that's my need for security or that's yeah. my need for acceptance or status or pleasure or whatever it is. And Solomon writes Ecclesiastes and he talks about you know when he pursued women, he pursued wealth, he pursued uh, achievement, status, art, uh, accomplishments. He pursued intellect, wisdom. Right. right? Sometimes we're, we're trusting Everything. there, and and at the end of it, he said, "Look at none of it satisfies. None of it is worth trusting in. It's like leaning against the spider's web. It, it, it's not going to hold us up in the end. The mm-hmm. only thing that will, as Psalm twenty one talks about, is God, because God is the one that delivers." Amen. Well, let's flip over to our New Testament reading in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, we're in the second half of Acts chapter 19 today, and we find uh, a riot taking place here. But this is a, a significant thing that happens here in the beginning because it says in verse 21, it says, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and to go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So this is another pivotal moment in the book of Acts where Paul's kind of, you remember when Jesus, it says, set his face towards Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Paul here in in some respects is setting his face towards Rome. He wants to get to Rome and he's going to end up in Rome, although it's going to be under much different circumstances than he probably assumed at this point in time. Right. Because right now he just wanted to get to Rome to strengthen the church there and to see them and to meet the people there. He's going to end up in Rome at the end of the book because he's going to be imprisoned in Rome. But from this point forward, the rest of Acts is kind of, Paul's journey to get to Rome. And it's a roundabout one, but this is where he's going now is he's trying to get there. But he goes through this region there. And uh, the reason why he's going through Macedonia and Achaia, it says in Romans 15, verse 25 through 27, it was to take up a collection for the saints who are in Rome. So he's already preparing here to get to Rome eventually. And he's going through the region that he's already been visiting these churches because those churches there want to support the believers in Rome. And so he sends uh, Timothy and Erastus. We don't know much about Erastus, but he sends them on ahead of him. And then Paul remains for a while here in the, the region of Galatian Ephesus there. And, and there's a problem. And the problem arises because Paul's message has been effective with the loss there. And it's causing a loss to the, the, the coppersmiths, to the silversmiths, to the metal workers who are making the idols. Demetrius. Yeah. People don't want their idols anymore. Mm-hmm. And so Demetrius comes up and he says, hey, look, this is a problem. And, and he appeals to their loyalty to Artemis. He says, oh, they're, 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 Artemis is under attack. And so I love the description there because if it says that in verse 29, they were filled with confusion. Then in verse 32, the, the assembly was in confusion and most of them didn't even know why they had come together. We're angry. Why are you angry? <laughs> we don't know. We're just mad. <laughs> Literal mob mentality, right? right? And That's uh, humanity, bro. It, totally. And, and yet then you have the 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 proconsul, uh, or not the proconsul, but one of the, the men stands up towards the end there and says, hey, look, everybody, let's let's just chill. We're in danger of being accused of, of rioting now. And uh, and then it says when he had said these things, he, he dismissed the assembly. Um, he even it, it acknowledged there's there's no reason why we're here to, to justify this. But it's just a reminder to us as you're listening to this Christian that, that the world does not love what we're doing here. 
And the, the prince of the world does not love what we're doing here. And when the gospel starts to prevail, he's not going to be far behind trying to oppose and trying to, to strike it down. And that's what we see here with what's going on with this riot here in Ephesus. Always expect resistance. The Christian life is not is not a matter of, and Jesus talks about this. He says, look, I've come not to bring peace, but a sword. And sometimes that sword is going to hit you even in the, the relationships of greatest intimacy between a husband and a wife, a mother and a father. And so when we see things like this in the life of Paul, we should be reminded, okay, uh, Paul is not unique. We may not be experiencing riots at the hands of our preaching and our evangelism, but you should be feeling that sense of opposition, that sense of resistance from a world that says we don't want what you have to offer, Christian. And especially more so as we seek to be a biblically faithful church. We're not simply saying we're Christian in title. We want to be Christian um, in actuality by saying what does the scriptures say? So expect resistance. Expect resistance in your own flesh in reading the Bible. Expect resistance in your neighborhood and in the world around you when trying to now, share what the Bible says, but don't be deterred. Be, I mean, as, as like Paul, have your face set toward faithfulness and, and let God handle the details. Yeah. And, and Paul wrote in Romans 1.18, right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for salvation to, for those who believe. And he is, this is, he's writing that because of what he's already experienced in, in situations like this. I mean, think about that. Look at, look at again, when the town clerk quieted the crowd, he said in verse 35, men of Ephesus, is there anyone who doesn't know that the city of Ephesus is the temple keeper of the great Artemis? So he's saying here, everybody knows that we're all about Artemis. And yet, even in that context, the gospel is prevailing so much that it's causing people to go, man, this is a threat to our allegiance to Artemis. Our, and our national standings. identity. Right. And so as you're thinking about that, man, if your neighbors don't believe the same that you believe, or if your neighbors come from a, a different place where they're allegiant to a different God, a false God, or a false religion, and you're sitting there going, how in the world would we ever prevail with the gospel? Take Take courage from passages like this, where you've got Paul walking into the the hotbed of the the worship of Artemis, and he's turning the, the the town upside down with the gospel. Yeah, if you look up her shrine, it's weird. Did you take a look at that, bro? I did not. It's weird, man. I, I would, would encourage imagine. you not to. It's one of those one of those statues where you're like, you know what? I'm I'm not going to open this up around my kids. <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty grotesque. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the, the power of the gospel is is super encouraging in that. So, And it's a good reminder to us, right? We were just as blind before Christ as these worshipers of Artemis were. And the power of gospel came and transformed our lives. We pray it's transformed your life, and we pray that you are uh, faithful in proclaiming it to others so that God can continue to do the work that he's doing. And the gospel will prove itself to be the power of God for salvation to all who will believe. We'll catch you again tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Yeehaw! Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.